Thank you for joining us for our weekly Calvary Church podcast. Pastor Otis here. This week, we have a guest speaker sharing God's word with us. He is from right here at Calvary Church. His name, Pastor Chris Wood. For more information about the ongoing ministry of Calvary Church, please visit us at InvernessCalvary.com. Pastor Otis said, we are continuing on in a, ser- a series about the Holy Spirit. Believe it or not, I was actually supposed to preach the week that the storm hit. And so I had some friends that, you know, they were very encouraging. They're like, oh, the enemy knew you were preaching. And so he just launched that storm at you. And then I always have that one friend who's like, I don't think your sermon was ready. So God just kind of, <laughs> he, he put a kibosh on that train wreck and kind of saved us all. But I was like, oh, I appreciate that. So anyways, <laughs> We're going to pick up where we left off, and I, I just thought, because it's been about three weeks since the ser- series started, it'd be good to do a little recap. Um, so on the first week, uh, Pastor Otis preached on Holy Spirit, the person. And if you remember one thing from that series, if there's one big takeaway, it's the idea that it's this, is that the Holy Spirit is not a, it, it's a person. That the Holy Spirit is God. And because he's God, he's not uh, a system to understand to or a system to adhere to. He's a person to have a relationship with, a person to yield to, to understand, to be in relationship with. Our uh, title verse for this series is out of Romans chapter 8, verses 14. And it says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. That God's children are led by his Spirit. Now, uh, my favorite verse in a verse that I just, I, I always kind of gravitate towards is uh, John chapter 16, verses 5 through 7. And this is Jesus speaking, talking to his disciples. At the end, he says, but now I am going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I am going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. See, here's the thing. There are certain portions of Scripture that can become so familiar that we, they almost lose their meaning, that we almost, like, we've heard them so many times that they kind of lose their weight. And this is one of those verses, I feel like, that when you hear Jesus speaking to his disciples, who for three years he did ministry with, he did life with, he interacted with, he broke bread with, he, they saw miracles, they saw wonders, they saw people healed and raised from the dead. He discipled them personally, re- back the curtain and revealing to them the mysteries of heaven. And then for him to make this statement, it is better for you that I leave. That's an amazing statement. It's an amazing statement. And something that, you know, you could see here where the disciples are grieving over what's going on. And it's one of those things that it's like, here's what I would say about the Holy Spirit. Many of us, when we make statements like, I just wish God would move in my life. I wish he would show up. I wish God would speak to me. I wish God would heal this or fix that or do this. What we're really saying is that I need the Holy Spirit to move in my life. Because the the scripture is clear. The Father is on the throne. The glorified Son is sitting at the right hand. The Holy Spirit is the present, interactive agent of God in the earth today. If you want to see God move in your life, in the life of this church, in the life of our community, we need to have an understanding, relationship with, and intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Uh, As Pastor Otis said in his uh, sermon, the Holy Spirit, there's probably no area of Scripture 
that has more confusion and misunderstanding or, or just misinformation than the, the person of the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, we typically, there's three responses you can have to the Holy Spirit. You can be misinformed, you can be uninformed, or you can be biblically informed. Uh, me personally, growing up, I was uninformed. I, I grew up in a, a, a Christian denomination and tradition that really just didn't talk much about the Holy Spirit. It wasn't so much that they uh, rejected him or didn't believe that miracles weren't for today or anything like that. And it, it wasn't charismatic where they fully embraced it. Uh, but we just didn't talk about the Holy Spirit, uh, aside from maybe saying the Lord's Prayer and saying Father, Son, and Holy Spirit during baptism. And so it's not that I heard wrong things about the Holy Spirit. I just didn't hear anything about the Holy Spirit. Um, like Pastor Otis said, sometimes the relationship that the church has with God is Father, Son, and Holy Scriptures. And it's, uh, you know, we, we need to have a grounding and a foundation in the Word of God, but it's the Spirit of God that illuminates the Scriptures that we can understand what it is He wants to do. Uh, Francis Chan, uh, author and pastor, had this amazing quote that I want to share. He said, if I were Satan and my ultimate goal was to thwart God's kingdom and purposes, one of my main strategies would be to get the churchgoers to ignore the Holy Spirit. And that's so true. He recognizes, and the truth is, the, the enemy's work in the, in the life of the church is if he can get us to ignore the Holy Spirit, there's a domino effect of us not being fruitful and effective. Because it's the fruit of the Spirit that we're talking about that we need. No Holy Spirit, no fruit. And the enemy, if he can't get you to not be saved, at least he'll try to get you to not be fruitful. At least he'll try to get you to not bear fruit in the world and in the kingdom. Satan's plan A, keep you in darkness. If that doesn't work, keep you ineffective. Keep you ineffective. Um, I've titled this sermon, Holy Spirit Intimacy Restored. Holy Spirit Intimacy Restored. Because I feel like the outpouring of God's Spirit on the earth is God's attempt to restore intimacy that has been lost with humanity. It's his attempt that when Christ was risen and the price was paid for us to be able to have that nearness with God, it's the Holy Spirit that, that comes and draws near to us that we can know the intimacy of the Father and the Son. Um, when you look in Scripture, there's a history of, and, and like a pattern of the way God's people respond to God. Uh, what you see in Genesis, in the garden, is that uh, man has perfect relationship and union with God, that there's perfect intimacy, that there's per perfect relationship, perfect communion, that out of all of God's creations, humanity was the only one that he actually breathed his breath of life into. And so from the beginning, we were the only ones that had the God's breath, his spirit um, inside of us. And then what happens? Sin enters the picture. And then there's the fall. And then there's that, that nearness that we once knew so well. Is, there's separation now. And then there's brokenness. And there, now there's distance between us and God. And then you see humanity's knee-jerk reaction to that is to what? Is to hide. It's to cover ourselves and to withdraw from God. Our, our first instinct to, uh, to rebellion is, is just to separate. And then what you see after that is just that pattern continues. From that moment on, everything that God does in the earth is an attempt to restore that intimacy and to restore that relationship. And, and that you see this pattern of him pursuing us and, and us pushing back. Uh, what you see with, um, um, at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 20 uh, with Moses, you see Moses going up. God's calling him up to the mountain to meet with God and that he wants to come down and bring a message. And, that God, and, and he declares to the people of Israel, God wants to meet with us. And what's their response? The response is, you go hear from him. 
Don't let them speak to us directly, please. This continues on. In the first Samuel chapter 8, Israel is now established as a kingdom and as a nation. And God, you see, like, you see his heart wanting to minister and lead directly his people. And what's their response? Give us a king. We want somebody else. We don't want you to lead us. We want a king like the rest of the nations have. You fast forward now to present day, new covenant with the church. And uh, that, that pattern still exists, but it exists in maybe a more subtle form that God wants to meet with his people. And what do we embrace instead sometimes? We embrace religion. Sometimes our, our, our knee-jerk reaction and our tendency is to embrace religion as opposed uh, to a relationship. Uh, we want to embrace the systems of church rather than being the church and being near to God. Uh, Eric Johnson, a pastor at Bethel, he says this. He says, relationship with and nearness to the person of the Holy Spirit is the difference between being adherents to a system and followers of a person. See, here's the thing. We believe, like, we believe deeply that God wants to move in us personally, corporately as a church, as a community of Citrus County, and ultimately in the nations and in the world. Uh, what we want to do is embrace and, and lay hold of uh, the, the nearness to God that we're able to have, that intimacy with God through his Holy Spirit. Um, you know, a subtle way that sometimes we can resist God is to resist God's people. I wrote down this, um, just a thought that I had, a little insight. Uh, it says that, I, so that sometimes we're intimidated by the intimacy and the move of the Spirit in other people's lives because when we see what God can do, it could be an indication of what God expects. When we see what God can do, it could be an indication of what God expects. I know in my life, there can be sometimes an intimidation. Like when I get around people who are just they're on fire for God, the things that God is doing in their life is just incredible. The way God is using them is just incredible. And sometimes an intimidation can rise up. And why is that? It's because I see what God's doing, and I know perfectly well if I listen to what the Scripture says that God can do that in me too. And he can do it in all of us. You see, there's a, I said this in first service, I'll say it again. There's been a, a tendency in church history to elevate certain men and women of God to saint status, uh, to treat them almost like superheroes. And basically what we've done is we've elevated them to a status that we feel comfortable distancing ourselves from and not, uh, and then it lessens, uh, shall we say, the need to have to attain to that. We want to elevate them to a level that we feel comfortable and justified not attaining to. And so if we can elevate them to saint status, then that means that they're on another level than me. They have their relationship with God and I have mine. But scripture says that we are the sainthood of believers. That any person that you've seen throughout church history, or even in the scriptures, including Jesus himself, who said, not only will you be doing these works, but greater works. That we're capable, by his spirit, of doing the same things. He said, well, I'm not hiding from God. I go to church. Church is the perfect place to hide from God sometimes. It's the perfect place, because it's the one place that people least suspect, because we're able to put up the facade of a Christian veneer and say, I'm right with him, you know. Um, throughout church history... And I think it's important to point this out. There's, there's almost like this pattern of God pouring out his spirit. You see a move of God. You see people come alive, getting transformed by, you know, by the power and presence of God. And then over time, you see that movement become institutionalized. And then what, what used to be the fire of God's spirit, you see whole churches and denominations turn into mausoleums of what God used to do. 
And you say, well, no, I'm in a spirit-filled church. It's not possible. There's, history is populated with spirit-filled movements that became just desolate, cold, basically museums of what God used to do in the past but no longer does. We can never become, let our guard down to a point that we think, oh, because I go to such and such church, it'll never happen here. It can happen anywhere that we're not pressing in and laying hold of what God wants to do. Didn't say that in the first service. I'm saying it in this one. Yeah. Listen, I've been a part of religion, and, and Pastor Rob, that used to minister here, he had, a, he had a statement about religion that I've completely stolen. He's like, I'd rather watch paint dry on the wall than play God or play church. I'd rather watch paint dry on the wall than play church and do religion. And he's absolutely right. Never want to get to a place that we're coming here out of duty or obligation or out of some sense of, uh, some sense of ritual. Let us, I, this is my, I, I, I'm guilty of this all the time, but I want to, every day when we come to church, come with the, expect, the expectancy that we're meeting with God and that we're, we're seeking his face and that we're coming to get a word from him. So what does intimacy with the Holy Spirit look like? I just put down a few things here for us. Intimacy with the Holy Spirit looks like this. He speaks to us. He speaks to us. You need to know that the birthright of every believer is hearing the voice of God. It's not a privilege for a select few within the church. It is your birthright as a believer, if you are in Christ, to hear his voice. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and another they will not follow. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 2, uh, chapter 2, verses 10 through 13, Paul says it this way. He says, but it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit, and no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know. If you got a Bible, a tablet, whatever you got, underline that phrase, we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. See, quick theology lesson. We all know, we kind of understand God to be Trinitarian in nature, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But did you know that because we're created in God's image that we're also Trinitarian in nature? Body, soul, spirit. See, we're born with a body, you know, this physical part of us. We have a soul. It's our emotions. It's our, it's our will. It's our intellect. But, you know, it's just that, our personality. But because of sin, we're born spiritually dead. And it's, that, it's being born of the spirit that reignites and rekindles and regenerates our spirit to where that we can have that communion with God, spirit to spirit. And that's the way he speaks. And what Paul is saying here, it's that we can have his spirit ministering to us directly by our spirit. He goes on to say, when we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the spirit, using the spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. As a caveat, this is something I didn't say in first service either, but I feel it's important to say. In our culture today, it's very popular, very popular to throw out this phrase, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. I'm spiritual. Now, that's actually not a bad term, but it's being misused by our culture. Usually when somebody says, I'm spiritual, it's co-talk for, I am not quite yet an atheist, but I do not like the accountability that comes with a religious structure. And so it's, it's, a, it's a covert term for, I sort of believe in God, I just don't want anybody telling me what to do. Now, in the church, it is good to not be religious, but to be spiritual. 
In this verse, later on, it talks about the spiritual man understanding spiritual things. But you need to understand, Bible does not talk about a Holy Spirit. It talks about the Holy Spirit. That in other places in Scripture, and I think Pastor Otis is probably going to hit on this later in the series, that there's this idea of testing the spirits and making sure that the spirit that we are receiving from is the Holy Spirit and not some other spirit in our culture. Mark Driscoll had a quote, and he's very blunt with it. He's like, spirituality that's not from the Holy Spirit is demonic. Period. That's why I, d I don't take lightly things like when we throw around terms like karma. Karma is not the culture's version of sowing and reaping. Karma is demonic. As somebody who's ministered in India and has seen what karma, how they actually describe karma, it's not getting what you deserve. Karma, as described by people who are adherents to that system, heard this from people in India themselves, is the cosmic force of everything being balanced out. So in other words, it's not so much that you did bad, you get bad. It's actually that you did good, you need to receive bad now in your life uh, to balance out that karmic debt. Again, don't know why I'm saying this, but I'm saying it. <laughs> I get in trouble for saying things like that. So how does the Holy Spirit speak to us? Well, there's a few ways. This isn't on the screen or anything, but you can write this down in your notes. Uh, one of the ways that the Holy Spirit speaks to us is that he illuminates the word. There's two words in the word that are translated into word in the Greek. One of them is logos, and it's the idea of a written word, written down on a page. And the other one is rhema, which has the idea of the spirit breathing these words. It's spirit-inspired. And what the Holy Spirit inside the life of the believer can do is illuminate the written word of God, the logos, and turn it into rhema to where it becomes a specific word for your life. It takes, it takes uh, something like uh, be generous, which is a logos word, and turn it into a rhema word, give to that person or help that person. Um, the Holy Spirit can speak through other believers. And I've seen this time and time again, that when the Holy Spirit impresses himself on somebody else, he can say, give a word to that person. We saw this in first service when one of our brothers felt the Holy Spirit leading him to give us a, a word as a congregation. You know, time and time again in my own personal life, I've had people come up to me and said, I felt like God said this. And it was so specific and so dead on to what I was going on that they could not have possibly guessed it. You know, I've told this story time and time again, so forgive me if you've heard it. Um, but some years ago when my wife and I were uh, newly married, uh, it was our first year of marriage, uh, working a few jobs just to kind of make ends meet, uh, you know, just trying to pay the mortgage on all the bills and all the newlywed stuff that you're supposed to do. And um, I remember one month just being a little short on cash. You know, bills were tight. Um, we didn't quite learn how to manage our finances the best we could. And I remember one month the mortgage was due in about a week, and I didn't get paid for another two weeks. I remember thinking, oh, God, you know, the pride as a newly, newlywed husband rises up. Um, I can't tell my wife about this. You know, this is going to be horrible. You know, bills are due and we don't have it. I remember praying, God, help us. We need help. You know, the mortgage is short by about 100 bucks. I could really use some help. I don't get paid for a while. So anyways, I go to work the next day, and I get a phone call from my wife. She said, honey, you'll never guess what. I said, what's that, honey? She said, well, so-and-so stopped by the house. You know, she said that she was having a quiet time this morning, and she felt like God said to give you this. It was a check for $100. I said, don't spend it. <laughs> I said, don't go on Amazon yet. We got, I got to talk to you when we get home. And I shared with her what happened. And, of course, you know, it was just, you know, it was an awesome blessing to us, and it was something that only God could have orchestrated. You know, recently, I remember, you know, my wife and I, we, we had had one car for a while, 
and it was kind of difficult, like balancing things out. I remember praying, God, you know, I need help with this. I could use a second car, finances and all this, that, and the other. Could you help us? And I remember praying, I think it was around May that I was praying this. And then uh, not too long ago, about a month ago, um, somebody in my family calls me up and says, listen, God's been asking me to do this for a while. We wanted to bless you. So here you go. We want to give you um, our old Jeep Cherokee. I was like, well, that's great. Well, I need to he said, I need to apologize. God told me this back in May, I think, that I was supposed to give it to you. And I've been holding on for so long. I was like, well, that's better late than never. And he also said, I also need to apologize because it doesn't work really well. And then I remember God saying, you didn't ask for a working car. You just <laughs> but at any rate, it's, uh, it was a blessing and we're able to use it and it was awesome. And that's the difference, again, between religion. The Bible says to be generous, but only the Spirit can prompt a person to be generous. How else does God speak? Dreams and visions. In Joel chapter 2, verse 28, and then later on in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, uh, we see that one of the manifestations of God pouring out His Spirit is that His children will experience dreams and visions. It's often been said that dreams are the language of the Holy Spirit. That God can minister to you in that place, giving you a revelation. Somebody just this morning came up to me before I even preached and said, you know what, I've never even given them a second thought, but there's somebody in your family that I had a dream about last night, so I've been praying heavily for them. I said, thank you for giving me a sermon illustration. <laughs> you know, God can minister through dreams and visions. You say, well, all this sounds new to me. It's like, how can we trust all of this? I was like, Pastor, I just said it well in the first uh, sermon. When God speaks, it will sound like the Bible. It's the litmus test. It's the plumb line for what God says. If it lines up with the word, then you can take it. You can receive it. If it doesn't line up with the word, maybe you need to bring that to uh, maturity and, and weigh that out before the scriptures and say, is this from you, God? And prayerfully consider it. Something else I'll say about hearing the voice of God is that it needs to be daily. It needs to be daily. In the Old Testament, there's this picture of the Old Testament of the Israelites wandering around in the desert. And how did God provide for them day by day by day? by providing manna. He's supernaturally providing this food for them. And what we see in Scripture is that it wouldn't last. It was only good for the day that they received it, except on the Sabbath, where they could hold on to it and store some more. And that is a picture of the New Testament hearing the voice of God, to where we literally need to feed on His voice every day. Not just clinging to what we fed on in weeks ago, months ago, and sometimes years ago. Clinging to an old word. Because God says, he says in the scripture, he says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Notice he doesn't say precedes. He says proceeds. There needs to be a current, active, spirit-inspired word of God daily for you to feed on. There's this other picture in the Old Testament many of you are very familiar with. It's Abraham and Isaac. And in this, uh, in this story, you see Abraham, uh, God asks him, he says, I want you to take your son the son of promise, and I want you to take him up on the mountain, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. And you see, Abraham is very obedient, and he does everything that God says, takes him up. And at the moment of truth, as he lifts up the knife uh, to perform the sacrifice, what does God say? Stop. You need to understand, the word of the Lord to Abraham was sacrifice your son. But because he was listening to God, the moment of the word of the Lord currently was not to do it. It's important to have an updated word of the Lord. It's important to have an updated word from God. He might have given you a word to do something in the past, and maybe you've been clinging to that, but you have not gotten current directions. It's like if I were to tune into my GPS and it started to give me the first, uh, the first instruction of many 
to get to my destination, and I only clung to that first, that first direction, and I didn't listen to it the rest of the way. You need to hear from God daily. Now, because God speaks to us, the second thing with intimacy with God is he can guide us. He guides us. He guides us in a couple of ways. One of the ways he guides us is into his purposes. Uh, John chapter 16, verse 13 says this. It says that when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own will, but will tell you what he has heard. So you're looking for wisdom. All of us as believers, we're looking for wisdom. I want to be guided in my relationships. I want to be guided in my finances. I want to be guided in my uh, with my work and my occupation and what I do for a living. We already talked about this a little bit, but God might have a specific word regarding finances out of the scriptures, but he may not have the word that I need that day for how to give on my finances or what to do in my job. Pastor Otis said it in the first series. The Bible has a lot to say about relationships, but it will not tell you who to marry. It will not tell you who to marry, but the Holy Spirit can guide you in that. He can give you a check and a balance and a peace about what is right and what you should be doing. The second way that he guides us is not just into his purposes, but out of the bondage of sin. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18 is just an amazing verse. He says this, he says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what the sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil. Sinful nature, it, it wants to be angry. It wants to be selfish. It wants to be lustful. The sinful nature craves things uh, that will just lead you into a dangerous, sinful place. And then he says this, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. Have you felt that? Have you experienced that? Have you known that tension? They're constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But he says this. He says, but when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law. And that is such good news, that when you are being led by the Spirit, it, you know, sometimes the temptation in church is to focus on my sin. Okay, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Oh, I did it. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Oh, I did it. God says in his word, he's like, I have a different way. Do this, do this, do this. Be led by my spirit. It will, he will lead you. He will guide you. It, you know, the, the greatest snare for being drawn into sin is not temptation, because temptation is going to come either way. The greatest snare for being led into sin is idleness, doing nothing. Because an idle person can be drawn so easily. I've noticed that in my seasons of being idle, that is when I am at my weakest. That is when the enemy can pick me off the easiest. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, we read the story about David, and it's so easy to pass over, but it's the, it's the story of when David is tempted and falls into sin with Bathsheba. But he begins the verse with a very interesting phrase. In the time of year when kings go off to battle, David was at home. And you could read that really easily and not make anything of it, but what was David? A king. What should he have been doing? Fighting. What was he doing? Sitting at home, chilling. I love that. <laughs> He was chilling and seeing things and looking at things he ought not to have. <laughs> so anyways, it's idleness that can posture us to be picked off so easily. When I'm, walking, when I'm in a place in my life and in my walk with God, and maybe you've experienced this too, but when I'm in a place of walking with God and I'm letting him use me, I'm saying, God, use me, and I'm being obedient to that, no matter what it looks like, you know, 
being there for that coworker, speaking that word of encouragement to that family member, going on that missions trip, serving at church, doing this or that. I notice that in those moments, I'm strengthened to a place to where those temptations just kind of lose their hold if I'm doing it with the right motivations and if I'm doing it with a heart to serve. And it's by the Spirit. There's a really awesome quote uh, from a pastor that I really admire named Mark Batterson. He pastors a church up in Washington, D.C., and he authored a book called Wild Goose Chase. And this book is about uh, the idea that being led by the Spirit can be an adventure. It can be an adventure. It's not supposed to be an obligation or a duty or this drudgery day in and day out. i got to do what God says. It's the idea that day by day, being led by the Spirit is supposed to be an adventure. And he says this. He says, spontaneity is an underappreciated dimension of spirituality. In fact, spiritual maturity might have less to do with long-range visions than it has to do with moment-by-moment sensitivity to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And it is our moment-by-moment sensitivity to the Holy Spirit that turns life into an everyday adventure. You see, one of the things that our generation often cries out to God about is, God, what do you want me to do with my life? It's direction. It's vision. What do you have for me? Sometimes he reveals it. Sometimes he doesn't give you the whole picture. In fact, very often he doesn't. God, you know, in my life has not given me a 20-year plan, but I know what God does have for each of us, a moment-by-moment, day-by-day plan. He says, I don't know what I, you know what, I'm not going to tell you what we're doing in 20 years, but let's talk about today. Let's talk about when you go to work, that coworker of yours has been sick for a long time. Let's go pray for him. Let me show you what I can do. Or when you're at a family reunion and you know that, that family member who's been kind of walking away for God for a while, the Holy Spirit says, you know what, I got something for them. Let's go, let's go do this together. That's what a day-by-day, moment-by-moment adventure with God being led by His Spirit can look like. And so He speaks to us, and because He speaks to us, He guides us. And, be, and the way this is all made possible is because He births new life in us. He births new life in us. Uh, John chapter 3 Verses 5 through 6 says this. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they were born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth, birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. What he says is this. He's like, your natural body, you're born physically. And when you have children, they'll be born physically. But you're, born, but you're also born spiritually dead. It's Spirit that gives birth to Spirit. And that it's your Spirit that needs to be born again renewed, regenerated, made alive. And then when, when that happens, you enter into a relationship with God. And because of that, you can one day uh, be resurrected to newness of life with uh, the Son. It says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Let me leave you guys with this final thought. You remember how I said that in the garden, humanity had nearness to God, intimacy with the Father. That's what this whole sermon is about, restoring intimacy. And that how from that moment, the work of God in the earth has been to restore that intimacy through Christ, the price that he paid in his resurrection, and then him sending the Spirit to earth. But something I want you to think about is, what was the first command to humanity before the fall? to say, be fruitful and multiply. See, that's an easy verse to read over really quickly and not think about it. But if man is created in God's image, what was God saying? Go multiply my image. Go multiply my image in the earth. Now you see, because of sin, that image was tarnished in humanity. 
And so what God wants to do is he wants to restore that. He wants to restore the image of God in us, and he does that through Christ and pouring out his spirit into our hearts. Did you know there's a second part to that, uh, that command? That command is restored in a, the Great Commission. Instead of go be fruitful and multiply, it's go to all the world and make disciples. Just like in the garden, he says, go be fruitful and multiply, multiply my image. In the Great Commission, he says, go make disciples, go multiply my image. Go multiply my image. See, intimacy is restored along with the mission of God in the earth to see sons and daughters formed into his image, multiplying throughout the earth and spreading his glory. And I'll leave you with this one final thought. I know that the heart of this church is just to see revival. We want to see God pour out his spirit in a big way. We want to see the nations come to know him. We want to see our communities come to know him. We want to see it more than anything. And I can tell you, you know, in case you didn't notice, the world didn't end yesterday. <laughs> Again, it didn't end. But I can tell you one thing. We may not know the day or the hour, but we can know the season. And one of the markers of the season of Christ's return is going to be the church walking in fullness of spirit. It has to be because the, the cry of revelation, the cry of revival at the end of revelation is this. The spirit and the bride say come. The spirit and the bride. The bride has to be one with the spirit to make that cry and to make that call and to invite the, the son to return. So, you know, that's, that's our cry today. And, and that's my prayer for all of you. That's my prayer for myself is that I would grow in my relationship with God, grow in my relationship with the spirit, knowing him more deeper and more intimately and being able to yield to his voice and be obedient to what he's leading me to do and to how he's leading me to be and to let that transformative work of the spirit be done in my life and in my heart and in my family and in my community and also in this church. And so that's our cry today. And so that is what uh, my prayer for us as a body of believers is. I hope you've enjoyed this message on the Holy Spirit from Calvary Church. For more information on this message or to listen to other teachings, visit us at InvernessCalvary.com. Connect with us for all the latest news on services, events, and more through our website or by following us on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks again for listening to this podcast, and God bless you.